Last Sunday, we began a series over these next two months called Last Words, First Words. Last week and over these next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at the final words of Jesus on the cross. And then from Easter through the end of April, we're going to look at some of the first words that were spoken. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that's found in the book of Mark that's nine words long. And before you go there, there's a passage that I want you to see that will help you to to develop a foundation and a context for, for the words that Jesus speaks on the cross. And the thing that you're going to see that, that happen at the same time and perfectly and beautifully are, are these two ideas. In Mark chapter 15, verse 34, it is deep theological stuff. It's theologically deep. The waters that we're going to plumb are going to be deep. And yet at the same time, it is profoundly personal. There's a depth to this statement, and there's a profound personal part that hits each one of us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're going to be looking at a passage that kind of serves as a, a foundation for what we're going to read that Jesus spoke on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it says this. It says, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse will serve as a foundation for the last nine words that we're going to see Jesus speak as he speaks on the cross for this particular Sunday. And as we look at these last words of Jesus on the cross, it should capture our attention. There should be a collective ache of the heart and deep emotion for what the Son of God had to do in order to create an opportunity for you and I to have a right relationship with Him. It shouldn't just be another ho-hum, yeah, well, keep moving. This should hit deep. So I ask you this question, what moves you? What stirs your spirit? A new child being born? the heartache of a loved one in pain, a new travel destination, a hot cup of coffee. We all have something that grabs our attention, that stirs our spirit. For me, whenever I see short video clips of a man or woman who has been serving overseas and comes back and surprises their family, it grabs me immediately. I don't know, maybe like this one. Check it out. Is that amazing? There's something unique and powerful about seeing this family sprint 50 yards to embrace 
their dad and their husband as he returns home. These nine words that we're going to look at should stir us. They should move us to a, to a deeper place of intimacy with Jesus. They should give us an understanding of who he is different today than the way we've seen him in the past. To give you some context, Jesus has been on the cross, when we look at this verse, for six hours. The Bible describes this moment at the ninth hour, it's 3 p.m., and darkness has come across the land. It's not natural darkness. This is supernatural darkness, a darkness that God brings. The time is close for Jesus to take his last breath, and the passage that we're going to look at is also known as the cry of dereliction. It's a quote from Psalm 22. These words, captured in Mark, first come to us in the ancient Aramaic language. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And as you turn there, what we're going to see is Jesus' cry and the darkness that covered the land, it declares this truth. Here it is. There is real abandonment from the Father as He took on every sin of every man, woman, and child. It was Isaiah 53, 6 that prophesied, the Lord laid on Him the iniquities of all of us. The Son of God is now experiencing something He has never known before with the Son. They have never known separation. They have never known being apart. And, and, and in this moment, they're going to usher in an abandonment and a forsakenness for you. Take a look at what Mark 34, 15, 34 says. It says, And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Elohoi, Elohoi, lema sabatani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see two very unique and very different kind of focuses coming together at the same time. We're going to see through the humanity of Jesus, his lowest point, his lowest point, contrasted at the same time with the high point of the crucifixion. This is the lowest point of Jesus, and at the same time, it's the high point of the crucifixion. When you look at this, you, you wonder, how can they exist together? How can they coexist? And when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He, it's an emotional cry. It's an emotionally charged cry. The, the same word that is used here, the same idea of cry, is the exact same one that's used in Luke 9, 38, when a man comes to Jesus who has a sick son, a sick child, and he comes to Jesus crying in the exact same way, saying, you can heal him. I've heard about you. I know you can. I think we get the idea of this type of cry. It wasn't just a whimper. This was a cry of anguish. What these words are, these nine words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is actually a statement of deliverance. This is Jesus Christ at a moment in time, separated from the Father, taking on the sin of humanity so that he could in turn deliver you from your sin. The word deliverance has two unique meanings that are connected together. The first meaning is this. It is the action of being rescued or set free. So if somebody came to you and said, I've been delivered from something, you would understand the context that they've been set free. They've been rescued. And that's what Mark 15, 34 does. It provides rescue. Here's the second thing that deliverance promises. Deliverance is a formal or authoritative utterance or cry. Mark 15.34 is the rescue. 
Notice here that as Jesus is on the cross, and it's the ninth hour, he's been hanging there for six hours. He's been gasping for breath. His back is absolutely obliterated. There's Syrian Christ thorns on his head. And as he hangs on the cross, as he's hanging there, he's not thinking, wow, I'm I'm here making bad people good. He's there because we were dead and he's bringing us to life. That's the power of this moment. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I want to focus first on the the low point of Jesus, the lowest point of Jesus as he experiences this in full humanity. This is, as many would say, the most gut-wrenching, heartbreaking part of the entire crucifixion. These last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They evoke an emotional and mental hurt that we connect with, that we've experienced We connect on a personal level because all of us in some way have been forsaken. All of us in some way have been rejected. All of us in some way applied for a job and didn't get it, dated somebody and it didn't work out, or longed to be in a relationship and it didn't happen. All of us get what Jesus is experiencing. I I can't get what the crucifixion, crucifixion looks like. I've never had nails driven through my wrist. But I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to experience abandonment. And Jesus comes to this place, and he gets it. He gets it. In our country, we have a growing epidemic where people are forsaken because of the color of their skin or their ethnic background. Makes no sense to me at all. Each one of us have had insults hurled at us and words that have been said to us, they cut deep and hard. Uh, Cindy and I know a counselor in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, brilliant counselor, Christian counselor. She told us a year ago that one of the unique challenges to her practice right now that has consumed everything she does, it's it's more than marriage, it's more than pre-marriage, it's more than end of life, it's more than I'm going through a difficulty or an addiction. The number one thing that she's dealing with right now on on a daily basis are teenagers coming to her for counseling because of the words that have been said to them in school or on social media. We we get this. We get what this looks like. We, We understand it. We know what it's like to be forsaken. At first glance, this might stop and, and make you think, did, did God really abandon Jesus in the sense that, that I know abandonment to be, that I know rejection to be? Is there a rift between the two? And to precisely declare the feelings of Jesus at this moment, honestly, it's unclear. We have an idea of what he was feeling. We, we can read into the context of it, but we really need to go to the text because the text is insightful. The text in Mark 15, 34 gives us the insight that we need. We must try to understand the way Mark wants us to see this dying Jesus. And so what does he do? He highlights these first four words. My God my God. These are words of intimacy. These are words of a close-knit relationship. This is the only time that Jesus prays to God in this way. When you read through the New Testament and Jesus is actually praying to God, he will often use the word Father or Abba. But in, in this one time, he cries out, my God, my God. The language of intimacy. At his lowest point, he uses the most profound way to connect 
with his Father. I wonder this morning if you believe that he is your God. That in the moment of difficulty, that in the moment of trial, you can cry out just like Jesus did, my God, my God, I don't know why I'm going through this. My God, my God, why this loss? My God, my God, why this difficulty? And he gets it. And in this situation, though there was no sign of him, and the pain obscured the promise, somewhere in the depth of Jesus' soul, there remained this assurance through these words, my God, my God, that he was being held by the Father. We each have encounters with him where he breaks into our lives with power and answers our prayers and waters the gardens of our flesh. I don't want to be foolish to think that maybe some of you are experiencing that right now. You've experienced incredible blessing. Your kids are doing great. Your job is going well. The purpose in which you feel like you've been born is is being fully unleashed. You're in a career path that you just love. And Tony Evans says it this way. He says, the likelihood is you're going to find yourself either headed into a storm in the midst of a storm or coming out of a storm. And so maybe you feel more like this. Maybe you're in a season where where chaos has invaded your life, where there seems to be, just like the supernatural darkness as Jesus hung on the cross, there's an unrelenting darkness in your soul. There's a dryness that comes across the spiritual landscape of who you are, and everything seems silent. Everything is quiet, and you're asking yourself right now, where are you, God? Why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? And here's what Jesus says in his lowest point. I'm right there where you need me. Whatever your lowest point is, it's always going to be even a little bit lower for me. Why? Because my full humanity is on display, and I get you. I get you. Jesus was forsaken. And as Christ followers, we will never be. We will be never left to our own devices. We will never be left astray. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, He will never forsake you. And hear this, Jesus did not merely feel forsaken. He was forsaken. And it wasn't just from the Father. It was His disciples and God Himself. It was the Father God who who delivered Him up to Judas, to the Jews, to Pilate, and finally to the cross itself. It was the crowd. The crowd did not stop jeering. The demons had not stopped taunting. The pain hadn't subsided. And He made it personal. There was no countering voice. No word came from heaven. No dove flew by where Jesus was like, oh, man, thank goodness I saw that. There was no believer who came up and said, hey, I know you're on the cross, but I just want you to to know the difference you made in in, in my life. There was absolute forsakenness. And it was put into motion by God himself. This was the lowest moment. Hear these words. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus had to feel forsaken so that your worst moment is when he shows up best. The worst sin in your life, the worst decision, the worst phone call, the worst experience, Jesus says, I get you in every way. My full humanity understands exactly what you're going through. So the first part there is this lowest 
part that Jesus experienced. And yet, at the same time, we see the high point of the crucifixion. It would be hard to argue that Matthew 15, 34 is the most heart-wrenching of the story of Jesus. And in this most heart-wrenching feeling of being forsaken, we find the high point of the crucifixion. I want you to hear through both the Old and New Testament how, how this played out. I just want you to hear these passages. In John 1.29, it says this, He is the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 4.25, He was delivered over to death for what? For our sin and was raised to life for our justification. Here's what the writer in Romans is saying. He died at the, so that the high point of the crucifixion could be experienced by all of us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness by his wounds. What? We have been healed. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. The high point of the crucifixion, and this is probably my favorite one. In Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace upon us was him. And I love this. Can you feel it? By his wounds, we are healed. This is the high point of the crucifixion. Jesus is experiencing the full range of human evil. Every bit of evil he is taking. And our judgment day is coming down on him. All of the gossip that comes out of our mouths. All of the times that we've not given when we had the opportunity to. All of the opportunities when we, God had put us perfectly in, in the way of sharing our faith. It, all of those things, he says, I collect all of them and I place them on the sun. And he had to be forsaken. Maybe you're thinking this morning, have I really been that bad? Was justice required at this level? Could, couldn't God come up with another way? It, it took this extreme cost for my sin to be covered. Honestly, I'm mostly good. Yeah, there's, there's a few vices in my life, but overall, I'm a good person. This cry, the cry in Mark 15, 34 of Jesus on the cross, wasn't so much a physical pain, although there was physical pain. It wasn't so much a psychological confusion, although I'm sure that that existed, people looking and thinking, what's going on, what's happening, the pace at which things were happening. It wasn't the dread of death. It was the cry of the Son of God who was now experiencing something he had never known in all of eternity, and that was separation from God himself. This is the high point of the crucifixion. The separation from God and the Son allowed me to be in a right relationship with him. Jesus was experiencing my judgment day. For me, for you, for us, Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. And so here's what this moment does. This is not a fake moment. This is not a moment that was just kind of made up in a book. This is an actual moment that happened in the calendar of time. Jesus stands where none has stood ever or since, enduring at one tiny point in space and time, all that sin 
deserved. When Jesus endured on the cross and took the, the right place, it was on schedule. It went exactly according to the divine plan. And so the horror of it and the glory of it existed at the same time. The lowest point of Jesus and the high point of the crucifixion came together, and this should stir us. This should move us. This should move us in our professional world to think, I'm not being paid to, to share my faith and be an example of Christ, but I'm going to look for every opportunity when it's right to do and present it. When I've got neighbors around me, I should be cultivating a relationship knowing that they're, they're, they're walking in sin, they're, they're just like us. And I'm finding ways to know that I can demonstrate this. There should be a stir. We should be standing at midfield right now and see Jesus on the video screen and we would be sprinting to him. That's what this passage points us to. Jesus is dying the death that we should have died, that we might live now and forever. The theological term for what we see in Jesus on the cross is, is this word. It's the word propitiation. He is our propitiation, our substitute. Jesus endured our condemnation and bears the full wrath of God on our behalf. And justice was accomplished in these words. Nine of them. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me. Jesus uses these words that you actually find at the beginning of Psalm 22. At the beginning of Psalm 22, Jesus acknowledges suffering but looks beyond it to express his faith in God when if you were to look at Psalm 22, it says these same words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So let me ask you, does it surprise you that Jesus who lived by the Scripture and believed that he was fulfilling Scripture, would at his lowest moment do what? Turn to Scripture. Uh, did you hear that? So here's Jesus at his lowest moment. He could have done a lot of different things. He could have called fire from heaven. He could have called out to a friend. And instead, what's it that he do? He absorbs all of it. He takes all of it and he turns in his most difficult time to the solace in Scripture in Psalm 22. Now, here's how they would read this in, in the time that Jesus is speaking this on the cross. It was uh, back then, like Psalm was not, you know, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. It was just a psalm. And what, what was in, implied is this. When a person, a speaker, would refer to a psalm, and they would record or, or recite the first verse, the assumption was you, you digest the whole thing. You actually go back and take the entire psalm. And so Jesus pulls out Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why? Because in his most difficult moment, he turned to Scripture. It, it makes sense. And as you read through Psalm 22, you're going to see in verses 7 and 8 that it came to mind that he was mocked. In verses 15 and 16, that his strength was gone. This is being prophesied in the book of Psalm. In, in verse 16, that his hands and his feet were pierced. In verse 18, that his garments were divided. Psalm 22 starts with despair but ends in triumph. And listen to the last verse. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 22 to 24. So, Old Testament. And he finishes this way. For he 
has not been despised or scorned, the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Here's what this is saying. This is saying that in your darkest moment, and even if you feel like God is silent, he's not. Even if you feel like God is absent, he is close by. And we can turn to him both in the times when it seems like he's pouring blessing and the times when it feels like he's not speaking. And for the Christ follower, the abandonment of Jesus by God means that you will never be abandoned by him. I remember when I was 10 years old and on Christmas Eve, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Christmas Eve, there was no tree in our house. There were no stockings hung. There was no family coming over. It was just me, my mom, and my sister. My sister and I shared a room. And I remember feeling incredibly abandoned. I know what that feeling was like. And we spent a few Christmases that way, but it just so happened that that Christmas around 7 p.m., a knock at the door came. And some people who didn't really know us well were at the door and had showed up with a Christmas tree and stockings, and more food than our house had ever seen. And in that afternoon, when I felt as low as you could possibly feel, and I felt abandoned and rejected by anyone, everyone, and I went through those hours, and God seemed silent. At the time that I needed it most, somebody showed up at the door who didn't really know us and just said, we want to bless you. And so whether it's through the silence or the cry, you can trust that God will not abandon you because he did it to his son so that you wouldn't experience it. It's heavy, and it's personal. As I close, just really quick, I want to point out maybe these three takeaways, these three applications that I hope that you might hear and, and apply to your lives as we, as we journey together, as we grow together in Christ. And here's number one, that Jesus Christ became a curse and sin on our behalf. Our lives should reflect this. If the intensity that I think many of us understand what Jesus was happening right now to him, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then our lives should reflect the depth of what these words speak. Let me use Lovely High Valley as an example. Lovely High Valley is on Sunday, April 29th. If you are on vacation, you get a pass. If you have to work that Sunday, you get a pass. I can't think of any reason why all of us wouldn't be there. And if you want to know, how do, I, how do I live in this? Here's how you do it. Our life should reflect the fact that Jesus came as a curse to take the curse of sin on our behalf. That, that should move us. We should look at the, the things that we have and the finances that God has given us and it should move us to, to reflect the, the ultimate sacrifice that he gave for us. The high point of the crucifixion should compel us to live a life that honors Christ. Knowing that it's going to be difficult, knowing that it's going to be bumpy, knowing that we're going to make mistakes, but we're striving in that direction. Here's the second application and it comes down to this idea of trust. No one has suffered like this no one has obeyed like this. This is worthy of my trust. As I look around this room, I see 
some incredibly capable individuals, many of you, skilled with your hands and your mind, and you can accomplish amazing things. And some of you are teachers that, that teach just so powerfully, and kids just come to you. Some of you are brilliant business people, and you can put a business plan together, and you know how to make money, and you know how to grow a business. And some of you are raising kids, and you know what that's like when the right time to read with them. Yes, we make mistakes, and yes, it's bumpy, but you're incredibly talented. And sometimes those very things are getting in the way of leaning into this idea that he is worthy of my trust, not anything else. If there's a challenge that we face collectively, I know this is not everybody, but for many of us, not, we're not wondering where our next meal is coming from, where we're going to lay our head, whether our car's going to start. Well, maybe some of us. And sometimes our trust can get diluted because we begin to chase after those things instead of God saying, no, 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 just stay right here. Keep that trust focused on who I am. Instead of inflicting the horrors of sin to sinners, Jesus bears them himself. That is worthy of our trust. And here's the third one. I wonder if this is something that you would agree. This is the one that I want. This is the one that melts your hardness. This is the one that opens my eyes. This is the one that turns all things and draws you out of spiritual darkness and into spiritual life. This is the one that I want. This is the one that I've been looking for in my work. This is the one that I've been looking for in my romance. This is the one that I've been after all the time. And here it is. It's right in front of me. Is this the one? I don't know about you, but that's the one that I want. And truth be told, I need you to help me continue to pursue this. I can't do it alone. I've tried it, and it's not fun. My prayer is that we would hear these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and understand that Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that you never would? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to come and be challenged together. God, I apologize for my lack of trust. I'm sorry that there are moments when I, I turn back to my own ways. God, I pray that you would help us to live in this, that we understand that, that you came to solve the curse and sin on our behalf and our lives should reflect it, that you are worthy of our trust and you are the one that I want. You are the one that I've been looking for. God, this morning for those who are here and they don't know you as their personal savior, they've just put their toe in the water. They've kind of come, they've gone, but they've never surrendered their life to you. Would you compel them in a great way? Would they sense and see you in a powerful way? Would they go and speak to somebody and say, whatever, whatever we've done today, I, I want to hear that, I want, I want it. God, we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Just want to say one thing. You know, there's some amazing people behind me. And I'm not going to ask you to clap. Let's just acknowledge with a nod head. The, the, the worship that we get to experience today is tremendous. I can't thank you guys enough for leading us to the throne of grace. We are so blessed by humble servants who come and lead us. We get to hear the word proclaimed. We get to hear scripture read. We get to serve in community together. And one of the ways that we get to worship is by giving. And in this moment, 
we have the opportunity to not just kind of put a placeholder in. We actually get to worship by the way that we give. And God uses these resources to reach people here and to reach people in the Lehigh Valley and to reach people around the world. So let's pray as our ushers come. God, I thank you for the privilege it is to be able to, to give and unleash our gifts, our time, our talent, and our treasures. God, I thank you for this time. May we continue to use this time to bring glory to your name as we worship you. In Christ's name, amen.